Hello and welcome to Coffee House Shots, The Spectator's daily politics podcast. I'm Cindy Yu and I'm joined by Katie Balls and Isabel Hardman. So Labour has recently reported that it's lost 91,000 members uh, last year and recorded a £4.8 million deficit caused by staff redundancies and a variety of other things. Now, Isabel, over the last few weeks, we've been mainly scrutinising Conservative membership numbers. We're talking about these 150,000 members who are going to be picking the next Prime Minister. But it does seem like Labour's got a similar problem when it comes to the size of its membership. Yeah, and this is um, also the Starmer effect on the Corbyn membership. So Labour membership did get up to, I think it was nearly 500,000 at one point under Jeremy Corbyn. Now, there were quite a few resignations from the party when Jeremy Corbyn was still leader over anti-Semitism, but nothing along the lines of the latest data that we've seen this week. And it's not a surprise to those who've been following Labour membership and also Labour Party finances, as the party really is in a very precarious financial situation, having to uh, look at laying off more staff and so on because of the deficit that it now has. And uh, you might have some people on the sort of, you know, the centre right of the party or whatever you want to call it, saying, well, you know, we didn't want these people as our members anyway. Um, and, And to a certain extent, there may well be a fair few people who've gone back to other parties like the Green Party and more sort of fringe left-wing groups um, who were attracted by Jeremy Corbyn. And perhaps moving those people on is is good for Keir Starmer in the sense that they don't really share that many of the sort of Labour values that he wants to promote. But look, you know, it's it, it's not a good sign. It's not a sign of a party being particularly healthy that it's losing lots of members. We could have a wider debate about the health of party membership generally. And as you mentioned, Cindy, the fact that we have a, a very, very small group of people choosing our next prime minister who are not you know particularly representative of the of the general population same is true in the labor party whether it you know is going through one of its big membership phases or or a more sort of um, boutique group of people it tends to be people who are universally university educated uh, more likely to be living in the south of england in the top three social groups which means that they have a certain perspective on on life and will look for certain things in their leaders as well Mm. And Katie, is this giving more ammunition to Keir Starmer's critics on the left of the party? Or has that been quite hard recently, given that Keir Starmer actually seems to have been on the front foot with this energy stuff, proposing a policy that actually the majority of Conservative voters also support? I mean, yes and no. Ultimately, you have lots of Labour politicians at the moment saying it's ridiculous that the next Prime Minister of the country is being picked by the Tory membership. So you can't, on one hand, criticise Tory members of having too much influence and then, you know, make such a big deal of the Labour membership being reducing. Because the point is, what's your current audience and what's the most important audience? And I do think his Starmer clearly thinks that's the general public. And lots of the things he's been doing have not been about winning over the membership. If you think about as we were just talking about, you know, redrawing the whip from Jeremy Corbyn. That's not a membership pleaser. Um, but that why did he do it? It wasn't trying to woo, woo the grassroots. I think there was a sense, you know, they think what they think. And actually, the problem that Keir Starmer believes Labour had at the, you know, the last two elections was perhaps pandering too much or trying to listen too much to the membership and not enough to actually the general public. And therefore, all the kind of bold decisions Keir Starmer has taken have been about the general electorate and not the membership. So I, I think that 
the membership going down obviously reflects something. And I think there is, since Jeremy Corbyn left, people, some have decided to go. It's not the party they want. And perhaps, um, you know, they're moving to places like the Green, Greens. And that obviously raises a question, which is, if the Labour Party looks like it is moving too much to the centre, the problem they have is a problem the Tories don't really have at the moment, which is because the Brexit party is no longer really up and running and reform Richard Tice's party has struggled to get off the ground. I think there is a sense that the Tory vote is not being squeezed by a party on the right if they don't go that direction enough. Whereas the problem Labour have is effectively if people decide that Keir Starmer is not being true enough to Labour values or to the left, he could, of course, they they could, of course, move to the Greens. So that is something they have to be mindful of to a degree. But I think for the direction Keir Starmer wants to take the party, and I, I think speaking to figures in Labour, they think they've had a pretty good week. His first big intervention on cost of living as of Monday when it came to uh, freezing the energy price cap, I think they think that has brought the landed well look at the fact that you got poll put free free out four Tory voters back the idea and there have been questions about how sustainable it is if it really does what the party claims it will do on inflation lots of doubts about that as Kate Andrews laid out this podcast earlier in the week but generally speaking it's not been perceived as overly radical and it has put pressure on the Tory candidates and the next Tory prime minister to say what they're going to do and whatever they say will now be judged against the Labour offer. Mm. Now, Isabel, we've talked a lot on this podcast about whether or not the government is really in action at the moment. But one cabinet secretary who does seem to be quite active at the moment is Grant Shapps. He's not only uh, trying to deal with the rail strikes, which are um, resuming this week. He also seems to be declaring war on cyclists. Can you tell us about that? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, if you were looking for an effective way of getting attention, I think Grant Shapps has sort of found the holy grail because people love to talk about cycling, whether it's cycling. Cyclists, um, like uh, you and me, Cindy, we do love to talk about cycling, or whether it's people who just hate cyclists and who find them a menace and think they should be either banned from the roads or forced to pay something called road tax. But anyway, Grant Shapps has decided uh, to to have a review of measures around cyclists, including uh, extending speed limits to cyclists. He said, uh, I see no reason why cyclists should break the road laws and be able to get away with it. He has pointed out one thing that it is seems unfair which is that you do get far shorter sentences for causing death by dangerous cycling and so on and that's something that he wants to review but he also floated the possibility while saying he didn't think it was necessary of number plates which again is the obsession of a certain group of people who uh, like to talk about this a lot and obviously we're now talking about it on our podcast so congratulations Grant Shapps in in terms of the sort of the question that it's trying to answer, I'm not sure the question is actually very much to do with cycling and it's probably more to do with trying to talk about something other than rail strikes and the state of the transport network. Uh, cyclists would say that something that is a far greater problem for them is the state of the roads at the moment and the fact that you can at any moment get pitched into a pothole that could kill you when you're cycling or cycle infrastructure which is is incentivized for local authorities to put in without actually any heat to whether it works. I mean, there's a cycle lane um, near where I spend quite a lot of time in Barrow and Furness in Cumbria that starts out looking like a cycle lane on a pavement and gets narrower and narrower until it is the width of the lamppost it eventually crashes into. Now, I'm, I'm sure that that ticked some box somewhere, but you will not catch me 
dead on that cycle lane. And that's something that it tends not to be debated as much as these sort of flashpoint discussions, which tend to focus, in, in my view, as a cyclist, they tend to focus on the sort of lycra louts that the male cyclists, who all of us find quite annoying. Most people don't see themselves as cyclists who use bikes. I cycle around with my son quite a lot. I don't tend to wear sort of club colours or anything like that. And I think these this interview sort of glosses over the, the vast majority of people who just want to get around. Yeah, and as well, I have to say, you know, as a fellow cyclist, I think it's scooter riders that are the problem, actually, not cyclists. So Grant Shapp should be looking at that instead. <laughs> should um, give them a number plate instead. <laughs> Katie, I'm going to spare you the question about cycling because I know you're much more of a spin goer anyway. Though, though all I would say on cyclists, around Parliament Square, they don't seem to be able to see the colours of the road crossing. So as much as I want to support the fellow cyclists on this podcast... That would help me increase my support for cyclists. We would agree could. with you that you must follow traffic laws. And anyone listening who's worked in Westminster and cycles around Parliament Square, you know, Katie Balls has spoken. Katie, I am going to ask you about something else, which is this clip from Rishi Sunak on This Morning. This is the question, Rishi. What did you order at Mackie Dean's? So I, I was there at about, I think, gosh, 7.45 in the morning yeah. or 7.30. So it was, not a, it was not a burger and nuggets. So Sausage I got breakfast. No, so I get bacon roll with ketchup and the, and the pancakes. Hash, oh! Hash brown, that hash no, brown. No, so I didn't yesterday. But if I'm with my daughters, then yeah. we get the wrap. Oh, my, the girls my, like the my wrap. eldest daughter is all we get the wraps. If I'm with her, that wrap with the hash brown and everything in it yeah. is what we do. Girl but after yeah, my own yeah, yeah, that, I mean, she's... Yeah. Katie, this is actually one of those things which has gone viral, <laughs> which you might not have expected. But tell us about why everyone's talking about Rishi Sunak and McDonald's. Yes, yeah, so intrepid journalism from Jerry Scott of The Times, who was quick out after this interview to make the point that Rishi, I'm reading her tweet, Rishi Sunak tells this morning that if he goes to McDonald's with his daughters, they all get the breakfast wrap. As a breakfast wrap aficionado, I can confirm they were taken off the menu in March 2020 due to COVID. And in January, it's confirmed they will never return. So, of course, the implication of this tweet is that Rishi Sunak is pretending, I suppose, to be a man of the people who goes to McDonald's when actually he really doesn't go to McDonald's. I think there are a few ways of ever looking at it. I think during the pandemic, it probably was the case Rishi Sunak didn't really go to McDonald's. He was pretty much just at his desk doing the Ferdy scheme and so forth. But the fact he hasn't gone since then does suggest that, you know, it's not as though every weekend or every other weekend they, they head to the chain. Obviously, the fact he knows there's a wrap on the menu does mean at some point in his life, I'm sure he and his daughters have had a breakfast wrap. But I think the issue for Rishi Sunak is if you think back, I think, to when public opinion started to turn really against his favour, or at least in a way where he was no longer seen as the golden boy of the Tory party, there was that stunt around the time of the spring statement when he was end up filling up someone else's car, a lower priced car than any of the cars he has, with petrol. And he has since said, but I think when someone said, what's the most stupid or silliest thing you've ever done? He he did actually reference this saying, you know, filling up, you know, like, you know, he basically <laughs> referenced the whole incident something that he understood was cringe and he shouldn't have done and the the problem is because there's been a few little things like that I think when you get to something like this everyone's very quick to jump on it and say once again actually you know you're suggesting you're more this than that which which is why I think it's just uh, it's just adding to what probably the the campaign as silly as it may seem it is just adding to this sense about him which his campaign we're trying to fight off and others trying to push that he that he isn't genuine when it comes to some things he says but if we are going to talk about the McDonald's breakfast menu, I mean, 
I think, A, it hasn't gone off the menu, so it would have been a safer pick, but also the McMuffin, I think, is a mm. superior product. Isabel, what's your choice from the McDonald's breakfast menu? I mean, I'd probably go to McDonald's once a week, especially the local drive through but I really couldn't give you the, the menu by heart. I get exactly the same. I'm like the Dominic Raab of McDonald's. I get exactly the same thing <laughs> every single time, which is the sweet chilli chicken wrap. So, I, you know, it, they could be selling anything. They could be selling kangaroos as far as I'm aware. And I've, you know, just got a tunnel vision. Yeah, the the biggest problem, I actually, I think, in my relationship with my husband was when I found out his McDonald's order. <laughs> Fillet of fish. I'll leave it there. Isabel and Katie, thanks very much. Thank you for listening to this episode of Coffee House Shots. If you enjoyed it, please leave us a rating and review. And to keep up to date with the world of Westminster, sign up for Unrivaled Insight and Analysis with Isabel Hardman's Evening Blend newsletter, delivered to your inbox every weekday evening. Sign up at www.spectator.co.uk forward slash evening hyphen blend.